We're in a casual sermon series about Christian joy, and we're going to be looking at the Christmas Joy Project, and for some reason we're a lot in Luke today, which is great, that's my passage, and essentially what, you know, I, speaking of confessing faults, I'm not a naturally joyful person. I find it much easier to see what's going wrong in life and what might go wrong in life and to let um, perceptions of badness, whether real or imagined, rob me of my present. That's been normal. But one of the things that Jesus has been doing in me over the years I've been saved is to change my heart, to actually believe that there is such a thing as God-given joy and that that's for me and that that can be for anybody. And it's a kind of joy that doesn't ask permission. I've got a little bit of feedback. Are we good? Okay. Christian joy doesn't actually need to ask for permission to be in your life. Christian joy doesn't need permission from the government, doesn't need permission from your health, doesn't need permission from your finances to exist and be coming out of you. It's supernatural and it's from God. But we are going to be looking at the story of Jesus' birth and the first and probably most excitement-filled gender reveal party of all time. We're in chapter 2, starting in verse 1. and we're, we'll, Why don't we just read this? In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each in his own town. And Joseph, the husband of Mary and the adoptive father of Jesus, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Why don't we look at our phones for a while? There's a joke. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which, is, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at the shepherd, what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured these things up, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Father God, thank you for your scripture, which I believe is the very words of God. Lord, many people saw this and had their own perspectives, but through the Bible, we hear your perspective on these events so that we would know what you want us to believe. 
And God, I pray for uh, grace this morning to serve your word and grace for everybody who hears that what you intend to accomplish through the Bible would be worked in our minds and our hearts through Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. So we're going to have a bit of a history lesson today. This passage starts by saying, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Any uh, Roman history buffs here? So-so? Okay, I'm a bit of a Roman history buff. A bit personal interest, a bit also all the New Testament happens as part of Roman history, so it's good to know. But I want to introduce you to Caesar Augustus. And I've got this map up here, and I hope you can kind of see it. This is a statue of him on the right. And just so you know, Romans back in the day knew what filters were. Right? So this is a statue of him. I'm sure he didn't look just like that. Probably a bit more chiseled, no pun intended, than he would have been otherwise. But this is roughly what he would look like. And you can even tell that the Romans, at the time of Caesar, Augustus, was a very accomplished culture because look at how good their artwork is. This isn't just like a three-year-old with Play-Doh. This is very accomplished sculpturing, but this is meant to be a representation of him. And on the map, you have a picture of uh, Europe and North Africa and a bit of the Middle East, and roughly all the places that the Roman Empire had conquered around his lifetime. People estimate that during Caesar Augustus's life, the Roman Empire controlled somewhere around a third of the world's economy. So, oh, how much nerding should I do to this morning, Lord? I want to nerd hard. What do you want me to do? Self-control. They estimate that Caesar Augustus, as the ruler of Rome, and as a Caesar, he was really a tyrant, but they they ruled over about a third of the world's economy. Not geography, not land mass, but of all the wealth on the planet, he was the king over about a third of it. And what really made him stand out was that he owned Egypt. I'm going to see if this thing works. Did the battery just die? Next slide, please. Did I kill it? There we go. So Caesar Augustus was a total dictator. He, um, Rome was meant to be established as a bit of a democracy, but only a democracy of rich people. It was a republic. But they didn't like the idea of kings. And there was a few people, um, in fact, Caesar Augustus's uncle, Julius Caesar, was assassinated because people thought he was going to become the sole ruler over, over Rome. But after Julius Caesar was assassinated, Rome descended into a civil war, and Caesar Augustus won the civil war and came back. And even though he just called himself like Principate, like the first place, he really did rule over the entire empire as a complete dictator. And he was a ruthless ruler. Essentially, if he didn't like you, you weren't going to live very long, whether you were a person or a people group or a nation. If he didn't like you, he 
um, you weren't going to live very long. And one of the things he did, he disappeared people quite well. So after one of the civil wars, or after the civil war, he came back to Rome and he realized that he was broke. But he also had this gigantic army that had just spent years traveling around the world, killing everybody he wanted dead. And so when you are a dictator and you're broke and you have a band of ruthless people who have been killing everybody, who think you owe them money, you're in a bit of trouble. Amen? When the best killers on the planet think you owe them five years of wages and you're broke, trouble. So what he did was he made a list of rich people in Rome that he didn't like, and he had them all killed, and he took their money, and he paid his soldiers with that money. And I think he did that at least twice. Just like... Jeff Bezos, yeah, he's got a bit of money. Okay, why don't we just kill him? Elon Musk, he's got a bit of money. Well, we'll kill him too. Sell all their stuff. Hey, I found some money. Pay all the soldiers. Everybody happy? Everybody happy. So these people weren't even like, they were just, he needed their money. And he had this ruling policy that when you become ruler, you want to do all the evil stuff right at the beginning. And then once that's out of the way, you start being nice to people and they eventually forget all of the murdering you did at the beginning. Not a nice guy, not a great guy. Total dictator, total ruthless dictator. And he was unimaginably wealthy in a time of widespread slavery. So people estimate that during the rule of Rome, about a third of all the people in the Roman Empire were slaves. And Caesar Augustus was super rich. There's a reason I'm doing all this stuff. So people kind of estimate that if he were around today, he'd be a 46 trillionaire. So if you're impressed by the Jeff Bezos of the world, he needs to multiply his wealth by about 70 in order to get this place. And like I said before, he owned Egypt. Egypt, uh, Rome couldn't grow enough crops to feed itself, and so they were really fed by, by the crops that were grown in Egypt. And when Caesar Augustus was out there conquering his enemies during the Civil War, he seized e- Egypt and he kept it as his own personal possession. So not part of the Roman Empire, like his own personal possession. So essentially it would be like if somebody was the president of the United States, but Texas belonged to him. All the wealth, all the oil, all the cattle, all the nachos, everything in Texas was a personal possession of the president. I did the math, and essentially what people estimate was that about 5% of all the world's wealth belonged to this guy. So essentially one out of every $20 in the world was Caesar Augustus's. Does that sound powerful yet? If you owned $1 out of every $20 on the planet, would you be rich? Okay. So I'm trying to give some context. When the Bible says, in the days when Caesar Augustus wanted to register the world, this is who we're talking about. And he also instituted emperor worship in, um, in Rome. Not that the emperors were like full-fledged gods, but he started encouraging people, I think it was, to worship Julius Caesar as the first of the Caesars, of course, with a bit of splashback that he himself would get worshipped a little bit and treated as a god. It's harder for people to assassinate people they consider to be their gods. But for generations, years after this, the, when uh, Caesar died, they would usually get added to the Roman pantheon of worship. So this is the guy who's ruling the world. Ultra-rich, ultra-ruthless, ultra-killing, ultra-powerful, 
going to command people to worship him as a god when he dies. Also, zooming in a bit more on the Holy Family, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus out here in Israel. So Israel was a kind of a bit on the border of the Roman Empire. It was the backwaters of the Roman Empire. It was like not the place to be. But this is where God's doing stuff. But Israel was not in a great place. Israel was in the doghouse with God. Okay, they'd been exiled a few generations before for their lack of faithfulness to God. And though they did come back from exile, they never really got the ball rolling with worship. They had this, time, this, sorry, this short time of independence under the Maccabees family, but then they were uh, crushed again by the Roman Empire. And so they see themselves as being oppressed by the Roman Empire, as well as being kind of rejected by God, that God's kind of mad at them. Because if God was happy with them, they wouldn't be being ruled over by the Romans. Amen? Like the plan for Israel was that they would be an independent God-worshipping nation ruled over by one of the sons of David, and the nations were meant to come to them to worship their God. The nations around them were meant to come to them and, and come and see that their God is amazing, their God is holy, and that Israel is supposed to be raised up as, as number one nation amongst all the nations. And here they are. They're the Steinbach of the world. This nowhere land that keeps ending up in the news for not great reasons, you know, with extra special restrictions because they can't behave according to the rules. And Bethlehem was the Steinbeck of Israel. Because Jerusalem was where you wanted to be. That's where all the important stuff was happening. That's where all the big businesses were. That was the, the, the capital of the province of Israel. And here's Bethlehem, kind of a bit of a backwater town near the place people wanted to be in Jerusalem. And this is where Joseph and Mary need to go because of Caesar Augustus decided he wanted to number all the citizens in his empire so that he could tax them better. This is the setup for Christmas. Mary and Joseph, under the rule of an absolute megalomaniac, being sent from Galilee to Bethlehem so that Augustus could make sure he's taxing everybody just right. Sound good yet? Anybody happy? Does this seem like a setup for a Christmas party or what? Next slide, please. All right. And then it happens. In nowhere city, in nowhere province, where Mary and Joseph have been forced to go so that crazy dictator man can get to squeeze everybody for more taxes, that he's going to pay his soldiers to be in Israel so that he can kill everybody if they rebel. Can you imagine your taxes where you're like, where are my taxes going? To pay that guy to kill you if you mess up. Like that's what's going on. And then suddenly it happens. The Savior is born in Bethlehem, and, and nearby Bethlehem, God throws this 
my son's just been born. He's out in his handing out cigar party mode. And he finds these shepherds. And it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, I want to unpack a few things here because this stuff gets me really excited. These nobody shepherds, they're nobodies. They're seriously nobodies. This is not a career choice for most Israelites back there. You, you want sleepless nights, smelling feces, and pulling lambs out of the body cavities of sheep? Anybody? Okay, so this was not necessarily a great job that people aspired to back in the day, but these guys had what God was looking for. They were awake. It's all he needed. They're awake. And so he goes to them, and the, it says that an angel appears, and the glory of the Lord is shining there. And you need to know something about the glory of the Lord. Because we talk about the glory of the Lord a lot, we can think it just means something like, yeah, good things were happening here. God was present. No, the glory of the Lord is a technical term for a specific kind of amazing presence of God. When Moses brought the children of Israel out of Israel to Mount Sinai, and God's presence showed up in fire and burned the top off of that mountain, that is called the glory of the Lord. And when God showed up to Moses to speak to him face to face as with a friend and descended upon the tent of meeting, that is called the glory of the Lord. And when Solomon made the temple and God wanted to show up to let everybody know he was going to live there, and a cloud descended with such presence that the priest couldn't even stand in the presence of God, that is called the glory of the Lord. And like nowhere else. When it's talking about something showing up that you can see and sense and feel, and it's called the glory of the Lord, it, in the Bible, it's when the presence of the Father is showing up with power so that everybody knows God is right here. And it's terrifying. The shepherds respond appropriately. We're all going to die. That typically is the response of people seeing the glory of the Lord that I'm talking about. And this is something about the New Testament that's different. In all those stories I told you before, these were like special moments with Moses or special moments with the temple. And now it's just like out in the middle of nowhere. With nobodies. So good. In the New Testament, so good to be nobodies who are nowhere. Amen? Anybody want to be a nobody who's nowhere with me? Yeah. So good to be a nobody. Nowhere. Because Jesus showed up in Romans nowhere. Israel. Israel was the place you got sent when your boss was mad at you. If you're the governor of Israel, you know that Caesar is mad at you. If you're the military head in Israel, you know that the generals in charge of you were mad at you. 
This is where people got sent when, when Rome didn't want to see their face anymore, and they were hoping that some crazy Israelite assassins would take them out. Okay, This was not a great place to be, and this is where Jesus is being born. And being a shepherd out in the field was not the job you wanted, and that's where the glory of God showed up. And they've got this message of great joy because Jesus is born, the Savior. And this is one of the things that God's just working into my mind here is how the best thing that God gives us is a person. Because what's Christmas about for us? Black Friday shopping? followed by Cyber Monday shopping, followed by Amazon telling you that your packages aren't going to arrive on time now (laughs) because you purchased it, but then everybody did, and now the post office is broken, plus all the highways in BC have washed out. So they call it what? They should probably just call that Disappointment Thursday or whatever. But you got your list of the loot you're hoping to get, and then the kids keep asking for eggnog, and you got to buy your cocktail wieners early so they don't run out so you can make bacon-wrapped sausages on the 23rd. All fine things for the angels who know what they're talking about. God wants us to be so happy because God has given us a person. The Lord Jesus to be our Savior. If you have him, the angels think you can be happy. If he's yours, the glory of the Lord knows you've got all you need for joy. Amen? This is, this is it. Great news. You get a Savior. You get a Savior. Merry Christmas. You get a Savior. He hasn't even done anything. He's just now. He's brand new. There's some things when it's new, it's good. <laughs> There's other things when it's new, it means it hasn't reached its full potential yet. Brand new Savior for you. Rejoice, he's finally here. You get a person to be yours forever. And he's for all the people. Now the angels are sneaking that in there a little bit because nobody quite understood how much for all the people Jesus was. Newsflash, we live in Steinbeck. Newsflash, we are in the middle of nowhere. Newsflash, we're on the other side of the planet from where all this important stuff was happening. We're on the other side of the planet from Rome. We're on the other side of the planet from Jerusalem. We're about as far away from what was going on in the Bible as you can get. And Jesus is being worshipped here because he's for all the peoples. For all the peoples. If they're peoples, God gave Jesus to them. On Christmas, if they're peoples, there is great joy for them because God gave his son to them. And part of our job is to find the peoples and tell the peoples that God gave them a Christmas present. A savior born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Amen? My arms are not of equal weight right now, so they're getting out of balance. Okay, I may come back to this. Do I have another slide? Oh. So I'm all messed up here. 
But let's apply this a little bit. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And the thing I want to highlight here is the shepherds did really well. They responded, right? They responded to the message. This is the Christian life. We just respond to what God says. We, God says something, we say, let's go. We're, we're the spiritual dude perfects. Let's go, right? That is Christianity. God says something, we say, let's go. Number one, let's go with hope. Christmas joy really teaches us that it's never going to be so bad that we get to give up hope. When Jesus was born, the world was ruled over somebody who would kill you for nothing. The world was ruled over it. And Israel was ruled over it. There were soldiers in Jerusalem ready to kill everybody who did anything against Rome. And they had their fingers in everything. That was not a time when the people of God were thinking, we got it all together. We're doing great. This is, we, we're just this close to just bringing everything together. No, it was terrible. It looked like terrible. It looked like everybody who had any control and any power and any say on how things were going to go were all the bad guys. There are these pagans, these emperor-worshipping pagans, these idol-worshipping pagans. It was so bad. And Jesus is born while his mom and dad are being forced to go to another place for taxes. Merry Christmas, more taxes, right? It's so bad. And that's when Jesus comes. And that's when the angels are celebrating. And that's when the party happens. As far as I know, this was the biggest angel celebration of all time. Number two, I want us to raise our Christmas joy to the hope that God is working out amazing things in the midst of stuff. Think with me for a little bit. Caesar Augustus, thinking to himself, I own everything, I rule everything, I get to do whatever I want, I want more taxes, I want more money, I'm just going to register the entire planet. Well, everybody who belongs to me. And and what a jerk. He's going to make everybody go to their hometown to get registered. Okay, anybody here, would that be a long trip? To go back to your ancestor's place? Would that require any people to fly to the other side of the planet? I'd have to go to Scotland. Which might be good. As long as nobody headbutts me over a soccer game. Get some kebabs. But if you just look at it, it just looks like everybody's being crushed by oppression. But what's really going on? Well, a thousand years before this, God had promised King David that one of his children would reign on the throne of Israel forever. And 600 years before this, God had spoken through the prophet Micah that that king that would raise forever would come out of Bethlehem, would be born in Bethlehem. And so God needed to get his son Jesus into Bethlehem. For that birth. And so he puts the idea in the mind of Caesar Augustus, who thinks he's ruling the world, 
I'm going to have to do something here. Oh, I'll just register, make everybody register so that Joseph and Mary, who didn't have any plans on moving to Bethlehem for the birth of their son, had to, through oppression, go to Bethlehem just in time for Jesus to be born. Hello? Now, originally I thought that this was kind of cute. Wasn't that cute? Caesar Augustus thinks he's wonderful. Remember the statue? He's actually just like a puppet. God is making dance to accomplish his purpose. That's kind of cute. Actually, it's terrifying. It should be terrifying that all of us could think we are so in control. And if we just became 45 trillionaires, we could do anything we want. And if we just had armies who could were, could easily defeat any soldiers they came against, just think of how in control and powerful we could be. And we could be like God level. You ever played a video game, God mode? You know, just laser beams and then people shoot you, no damage, no hit, God mode. We could get there. And at the height of human power, this guy is one of the top three most powerful people who have ever lived, possibly. He's just God's dancing monkey. He's just God's trained dolphin. On his best day, all he can do is be humiliated by the sovereignty of God. He's a stooge. He's a fool. He's an idiot. He's an absolute, excuse me, turd burger. He's nothing. On his best day, all he did was get Jesus to the place he needed to be to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. Worship him now in the fear of the Lord. Okay, bring that to what's going on in our lives right now. Something good for the kingdom of God. Maybe not easy. It wasn't easy on Mary and Joseph. Traveling in the third trimester. But something good. Something good for the kingdom is the, actually the only option for human history. Amen? That's crazy. That you could, somebody write a book about that, would you? You could spend a few months thinking about like... So if I got all the money in the world, but I'm not right with Jesus, he's just going to manipulate me to do his will anyways. And I'm just going to look stupid at the final judgment. That's the best. That's my best option, is that my best ideas for selfishness are actually just going to serve Jesus' glory, and I'm going to look stupid. The other option is to come to Jesus. Amen? The other option is to admit defeat now. (laughs) Okay, if I can't be in control of everything, I might as well come to the gift, come to the king who is in control of everything, who is the gift to me, who is the source of everlasting joy, who is the source of everlasting freedom, who has come to forgive all of my sins instead of hold me accountable to it and to bring true freedom. Maybe I'll do that one instead. So Christmas joy, believe the angels, come for the joy. Come for the joy that doesn't depend on you having to be Caesar to be happy. Amen? 
Like, let's go for the joy. Let's believe it. Let's believe that the angels are right. Even baby Jesus is enough to make us happy. But he grew up. And he became a man and a miracle worker and a true teacher and an awesome prophet and a real king. And then he went to the cross to suffer for us, to absorb all the wrath we could ever deserve and to die in our place and go into the grave and come back on the third day, abounding in resurrection life and all of the authority that's in heaven on earth and going to heaven to sit on a throne so that for us he could be an intercessor, a king, a friend, a lover of our souls and a source of everlasting resurrection life. Hooray! And every day Jesus does a billion more wonderful things worthy of praise. Do we think somehow the angels stopped celebrating just because they went home? No, the party only gets better in heaven because every day God does so many more glorious things. Heaven will not be boring. The new heavens and the new earth will never get boring because every day will be more and more amazing Jesus. Hooray! And so, friends, let's be amongst those who please God. Now, probably some of us are getting nervous right now because some of us deep down just are always worried that it's not real, that we think we're in but we're not in, that maybe we think we're forgiven but we aren't forgiven. So I'm going to make this just really clear. How do we please God the way he wants to be pleased? It's really simple. You believe in the one that God sent. Somebody asked Jesus this in the Gospel of John. What must we be doing in order to be doing the works of God? What what do we have to do in order to be doing what God wants us to do? And Jesus kind of undercut them. He took him to Sunday school. You believe the one that God sent you in Jesus. Amen? Like for real, for real. And if you're doing that, it is a grace. God's worked in your heart. He's given you a new birth. But that is the thing that pleases him. That we trust Jesus. That we want Jesus. That we praise Jesus. That we trade Everything Caesar could offer us to get Jesus, to have Jesus. We want to die in Jesus. We want to live in Jesus. We want to spend for eternity with Jesus. And the Father's just like, yes, you finally get it. Yes, because I love Jesus and he's amazing. And when you love Jesus too, we are one. Do we have a worship song about Jesus we could do? Yeah, sure. Maybe just one or two. We should be doing it soon. So, family, I know that it's, uh, it would be wrong for anybody to assume that Christmas is a time of natural joy for us. Anybody here have terrible Christmas memories? Man, what, I got in a car crash on Christmas Day once. It wasn't a big one, but my dad was so angry about it. Ruined my day. One of the worst fights my family ever had, including me and my brother absolutely trying to kill each other for a while. Christmas. There is a lot of spiritual warfare around this season. And this morning, I just want to call the church 
to put all our eggs in Jesus' basket for Christmas joy. Do we have Jesus? Can we look to Jesus? Can we pray to Jesus? Can we trust in Jesus? doesn't mean everything's easy or that your heart won't ache or you won't have tears to shed over the month of December. But if we have Jesus, we have everything we need to make the angels go crazy with worship. And so we should sing.